I love that video. How would you have done with that when you were a kid? I'd have definitely been the one who ate it straight away. Waiting was not an easy thing for me when I was young. And do you know what? To be honest, I'm still not great at waiting, if I'm truthful. Here are some things. I brought some with me this morning that I have great trouble resisting. And there's a long list, by the way. I've just bought a couple. Millionaire shortbread. Love millionaire shortbread, particularly from Costa. Other shortbreads are available, but Costa millionaire shortbread. Can't resist that. Love it. Here's one. A strawberries and cream, crispy cream donut. I just, I love them. Although this one doesn't look particularly appetizing because I squashed it in my bag on the way down today, but it's still going to be delicious. And I promise you, if you could smell it like I can smell it right now, to be honest, I'm really struggling not to just stop this talk right now and eat the donut. Some of you might prefer that, of course. Um, there's plenty of other things on my list of things I have great trouble resisting. And these things, you know, they are great. Make no mistake about it. They're absolutely delicious. They certainly make me feel good at the time I consume them but I don't feel so great when I get on the scales at the end of the week. I don't feel so great when I work out the amount of exercise required to work them off. I worked this out for this Krispy Kreme donut this week. This Krispy Kreme donut is nearly a thousand calories, which would take one hour and nine minutes of jogging to work off. Don't feel so good when I think about it in that way. You know, the problem is when I eat that amazing stuff, it feels great for a moment, but I've traded the immediate for the ultimate. I've gone for the short-term fulfillment of a desire over the long-term benefits of being in good physical shape. You know, I find it quite easy in certain areas of my life to be disciplined. I find it easy to be financially disciplined, to be disciplined with my career and my work and my job. I find it relatively easy to be disciplined with my family time and so on. I can be disciplined in those areas. Food, though, that's a toughie for me, I've got to be honest. I find it really easy to go for the quick fix over the longer term benefits. I wonder what your quick fix is that you regret later. How many of us would say that we've said or done something that we've later regretted? All of us, right? Yours might not be food, but it might be your spending or the way you prioritise work and family. It might be relationships. It might be binge watching that latest box set when there are way better other better things that you should be doing with your time. Maybe it's doing anything other than that studying you should be doing for college work or for your uni degree. Maybe you get distracted by the prospect of that quick fix rather than the long-term investment of that study or work. Or for you, it might be that you get angry, your temper is your quick fix and you explode, but it has long-term consequences. Or maybe for us, it's something that if we were honest, we'd have to say has become a bit of an addiction for us. Maybe it's not just a couple of glasses of wine on a Friday night, it's several glasses every night. Or maybe you're so desperate for love and acceptance that you'll give yourself away, maybe give in to your sexual desires. Maybe... Maybe you're more self-controlled than that. You'd have no problem waiting for the marshmallow. But you wonder sometimes, am I weird to be waiting or investing in the longer term when all around you, what you see is celebrating and encouraging a quick fix? Maybe you wonder, am I weird for wanting more than a quick fix? You know, often it feels natural or normal to give in to our desires. That's perceived as normal. It's normal to trade in the ultimate for the immediate, the potential of the future for a quick fix right now. But in this series and all through this series, we're asking this question, is normal really all it's cracked up to be? 
Is normal really working for us? Is what so often appears normal in our culture and our society really that good for us? Look around us. What are the results of all these quick fixes? Well, you don't have to look. I don't think you have to look very far to find out. Broken relationships, consumer debt, mental health struggles, the climate crisis, and on and on. You know, if we want what normal people have, we should simply do what normal people do. But if we want something different, if we want what few people have, then we should do what few people do. And that may get labelled as weird, may not be normal by our society or culture's standards. But is it really that weird when it's better for us? And maybe even if it is a bit weird, weird is better for us. Maybe we all need a little bit of weird. Now, by the end of this talk today, I'm going to hopefully demonstrate to you why weird in this area of choosing the ultimate over the immediate is way better for us. And I'm going to give you four really simple ways to resist the quick fix. You know, there's a story in the Bible I think really helps us here. In fact, it really illustrates this whole idea of trading in the ultimate for the immediate better than any other story I can think of. It's a story about two brothers, Esau and Jacob. They're both twins born to their parents, Isaac and Rebekah. And although they are twins, Esau was born first, just. Now, Jacob would go on to be the father of 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But our story today becomes before any of that. And we encounter the family when Esau and Jacob are in young adulthood. And this is recorded for us in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament part of the Bible, chapter 25. And I'd love for you to follow along with me in this. You can follow it along as we read it from the screen up here. You can follow along in a Bible if you've got one open in front of you or you're using a Bible app. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, which has a live event for this live stream right now and has some extra notes and stuff in there for you. So I'm going to read, first of all, from verses 27 and 28. It says this, this is about Jacob and Esau. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now here we get the first hint of trouble. There's some dysfunction going on in the family, isn't there? Esau was the older brother, and he was kind of a man's man. Jacob was the younger brother, just, and he was a bit of a mother's boy. Now, in those days, the oldest son would have what was known as the birthright. Just because they were born first, they had this tremendous advantage. And whenever the father died, the son with the birthright would get a double portion of the inheritance. So if there were eight sons, the inheritance would be divided into nine and the oldest would receive two ninths while everybody else got a one ninth. And of course, the fewer the number of sons, the greater the discrepancy. So here, in the case of Esau and Jacob, the inheritance would have been divided into three parts and Esau would have received two thirds, twice the amount of Jacob. And the son with the birthright would also rise into the position of power in the family. And that was what Esau had, and Jacob was jealous. And then there was this sense of dysfunction brewing within the family where the parents, each parent enjoyed one child more than another. And if that wasn't enough for Jacob, that loss of a birthright, it was even more exacerbated by him. There was even greater sense of injustice because they were twins. And it was really marginal that Esau was the one who would inherit 
So now we go on to verse 29 and we find out what was happening. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, and the stew is going to be really important here, by the way. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That was why he was also called Edom. I'm going to explain about that in just a second. But uh, Esau arrives and he really wants a quick fix. I'm famished. Let me have some of that stew. I'm famished, he said. He does what lots of us do when we're hungry. I'm starving. I'm starving. And this Edom thing is, is the word uh, Edom means red. And he would become known in the future as red. Like that was kind of his nickname. Because this incident with the red stew would mark him for the rest of his life. Quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. I'm about to die, he says. Does that thing we do when we're hungry. I'm starving. He really wants some food. Well, Jacob spots an opportunity. Look, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. You know, this is really calculated stuff from Jacob. It's pretty dirty tactics, really. He sees the opportunity to get what he's always wanted. Stuff the consequences of this. Stuff what it's going to do with the relationship with his brother and with his parents. Jacob's desires, his jealousy, outweigh all of that. Well, look what Esau does. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Again, he's doing that thing that we do. I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. He's not about to die. But then he says this, what good is the birthright to me? I really need this stew. I'm so hungry. What good's the birthright to me right now? Now, the original audience listening to all of this taking place would have reacted to Esau's statement with horror. The birthright was a huge deal, not just financially, but with honor and status within the family. This seems like such a foolish thing to say. How could anybody be this stupid? Well, look what happens. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. See, Esau had this immediate need, his, his desire for this quick fix. And in getting the stew, his immediate need was satisfied. But the long-term price was huge. And actually, he valued the long-term. He valued his birthright so cheaply that he sold it for a bowl of stew. And the word that despised here could also be translated as contempt. He treated his birthright with contempt. You know, in a legal context, people are sometimes held in contempt of court. We hear that, don't we? Which means that they don't show the judge and the legal process the respect that they deserve. Well, Esau treats his birthright with that same level of contempt. Who would be so stupid to trade their entire birthright for a bowl of stew? But you know, it's quite normal for people to do this every single day. We all know people who have derailed their lives because they gave in to a quick fix desire that went unchecked and unmanaged. Some immediate desire that seemed so important to them that they forgot about everything else that mattered because all they wanted at that moment was the bowl of stew. That's all they desired. And if we're honest, actually, we've all done this. Every day, people trade in the ultimate for the immediate. 
It could be as simple as what we eat, but it could also be what we spend, who we sleep with, how we allow our anger to play out, what we watch. It could be what we don't do, those habits or behaviours that involve an investment of time now, but have greater benefits later. In this Old Testament story of Esau and Jacob, Esau trades in his long-term future secured by his birthright for a bowl of stew. Who'd be stupid enough to trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? Well, the answer is all of us if we're not careful. What's your bowl of stew? What do you struggle with resisting in the immediate that you pay the price for later? Normal says trade the ultimate for the immediate. It's perceived often as weird to hold out. But you know later is often better than now. It's often better to give up something that we want for now for something that will be better for us later. I wonder what sort of person you are. Would you rather get the greater reward later or would you rather have the quick fix now? When you think of the marshmallow test, which kind of person are you? The truth is that probably all of us have areas of our lives where we find it easier to resist than in others. Areas of our lives where we don't have any problem at all investing in the ultimate rather than the immediate. But we all probably have other areas of our life where we find it all too easy to succumb to the lure of the immediate, the quick fix. So what's your bowl of stew? What's your quick fix? And is it weird to want to resist the lure of the quick fix and invest in what really matters? No, absolutely not. Despite what we may think, despite what we may be told, despite what others may say about us, it's not weird to want to wait now and buy later when we can afford it without debt. It's not weird to place boundaries around the amazing gift of sex to ensure it means so much more to us than when we share it with someone who really matters to us. It's not weird to want to study now to ensure a better future. It's not weird to want to eat well now for better health later, even though people might try to tell us that it is. How do we resist the lure, the lure of the quick fix and ensure we're investing in what really matters? Well, I want to suggest four things that we can do. Number one, intentionally create boundaries around the temptations for the quick fix. Cut up the credit card. Don't keep a stock of Krispy Kremes. Put controls around your elect electronic devices to protect what you see in them. Put up boundaries intentionally create them and create them when the quick fix isn't tempting to you so when the time comes when it is those boundaries are in place and number two and it's linked to this one number two strengthen those boundaries with accountability you know we don't really change our habits and behaviors unless we tell someone else we're trying and ask them to help us by checking in with us so not just create, intentionally create boundaries, but strengthen them with accountability by talking to other people, a close friend, a confidant. Number three, ask people to help you. And it may be that you need people to help you more than just in accountability. It might be that you need professional people to help you, particularly in areas of addiction where you're really struggling. We have an amazing counselling service here at Andover Baptist Church and I'd encourage you if you're struggling in these areas of your life, if it's an addiction thing that you're struggling with, you need people to help you, people who are trained in how to help you. 
check out our counselling service on our website. Or if you can't find it there, simply get in touch with us and ask how we can put you in touch with our counselling service. And we would love to do that with you and for you. Number four, ask God for his courage and his strength to help. You know, today we're celebrating Pentecost, when the church was born and God poured out his presence, his Holy Spirit, on the first Jesus followers. You know, we're told by God that when we live in his presence, when we allow the power of that Holy Spirit to reside within us, we grow and we bear fruit. And some of that fruit, God tells us, is self-control and patience. And we can ask God to give that to us. And God will help. Let's not trade in the ultimate for the immediate. Let's build these things into our lives. Let's ask God to help us. Let's not trade in our birthright for a bowl of stew. And make no mistake, God has a birthright for you. A full life, life of purpose and meaning, of joy and of Holy Spirit-fueled fruit. Let's grab a hold of it. Let's not trade it in for a bowl of stew, for a quick fix. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you desire the very best for us. You desire for us to have life in all its fullness, full of joy. You desire for us to have good things in our lives, good health and, uh, and freedom from stress of worry and anxiety about money or relationships or whatever. We recognize this morning we need to put boundaries around those things that so often tempt us into a quick fix at the expense of those things you would desire for us. Lord God, I pray now for each and every person who's watching this in our main hall next door, watching on the other end of the camera, whether live or on demand, I just pray for each and every person that, that your spirit, your presence would be with them now. Be with us now giving us courage and boldness, giving us the fruit that comes from your spirit within us, patience, self-control. Lord God, I pray that we would sense and know you now. I pray you'd give us the courage and the boldness to intentionally create boundaries, to ask other people to help us, to build in accountability, to seek professional help if we need that. Lord God, Help us to keep in mind the good things that you have for us, the ultimate things. And help us to resist the power of the quick fix, which feels so normal to us so often. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.